0: Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions
1: of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised.
2: Yes, please, Lord, bring some sort of laws into place that prevents these people from thinking that they're psychiatrists, psychologists, therapists, anything, teachers, none of them have degrees in anything. No type of child psychology or uh, sociology degree, nothing to help any troubled teens except for a Bible and a power.
1: To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Now, here is
0: your host, Eric Skwarzynski. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Prejoice Podcast. I'm so excited to have Naomi on the show today to talk about Camp Tracy. I just had uh, Gene on the show just recently. You heard his story and got to hear stuff that sounds stranger than fiction when you really get into it. And I'm really excited to get a better look at uh, Camp Tracy and what was going on there. Uh, Naomi, can you just tell me a little bit about how you got introduced to this camp? And I guess, first of all, were you part of, this camp is pretty closely affiliated with the Independent Baptist Movement, but were you part of that world before going?
2: Not so much. My mm. mother was raised Catholic. She tried a couple of different churches. I actually, before I went to Camp Tracy, I spent a year at Lighthouse Christian Academy in Tallahassee. Oh, okay. Um, and that one actually wasn't. Nearly, I, I wouldn't even really have anything negative to say about that one. That that one was pretty strict, and mm-hmm. yeah, a little bit cultish because of the, the independent fundamental Baptist stuff, okay. like the gauchos, no wearing pants, and all of that. But Cam Tracy was something completely different. Cam Tracy was nothing less than criminal,
0: mm-hmm.
2: forced child labor, enslavement. Mm-hmm. It was disgusting,
0: right.
2: you know. And uh,
0: so, but, around what age did you go here?
2: I was fourteen years old. Okay.
0: 14 to 18. I
2: just turned 14.
0: Oh, and what was the reason that was given for why you were sent? Because I know with these homes, it can be anything from parents don't want to deal with the situation or sometimes there is disciplinary things. What was the reason that you ended up getting sent here?
2: Well, oh, I love my mother, to death, and I always will, as any child would love their mom and dad. No one's perfect. Uh, my, my mother had her own share of demons when she was raised. She really just didn't know how to raise me. And then on top of that, I have ADHD dealing with a child that that is very hyperactive and can't stay focused, it's a challenging task to say the least. And then when you're not raised in a proper way yourself, you really don't know how to raise a child. My Mm -hmm. mother was 21 when she had me and I was seemingly heading down the wrong path, if you will. I didn't really party or anything like that, no drugs. I didn't say no when she asked me those questions. So she feared because of the few people that I had hung around that maybe I had gotten involved in that stuff. So okay. she sent me away.
0: Okay. Yeah, um, she sent me away. And was there was there any real conversation, or did you just one day you get taken and dropped off, or what was the process there?
2: It was worse. It was worse than that. Cam Tracy was very strict with the parents. They were told, period, point blank, do not tell them that they are coming plan a family trip say that they're, you're going on a family trip or whatever the case may be i even heard of people being drugged i wasn't drugged but i was woken up i was told that i was going to be going to, going to a boarding school on saturday uh-huh. i figured it was going to be something like lighthouse christian academy that i went to right i did i was planning on running away but my mother woke me up at three o'clock in the morning on wednesday the wednesday before the saturday and she said we're going today and she drugged me pretty much in the car. Lighthouse was okay, but it's still nothing that I would wish on anyone. Right. I was nowhere near prepared for Camp Tracy.
1: Right.
2: When you're, you as a parent are told that you cannot walk with your child past a carport and you are to drop your, children, your child's luggage right there, you have to say your goodbyes. You're not even allowed to see the facility. Me as a parent, I have a nine-year-old now. I can't imagine, I can't fathom doing that to my child. Right. Um, to say that my mother was paying for me to be abused is an understatement. She didn't know, but they yeah. were paying $700 a month for me.
0: Wow. wow. What was your, so you get dropped off and you basically arrive on the property. What's your first experience with the staff and getting to meet everybody?
2: The worst. I brought my luggage in and there's like a podium there where they could have, they would have things called sings. It's like a Christian concert, if you will. There was a podium there and a stage with the four steps as if it were a church, but it was a gym as well. The dorms were right behind and you're brought over there with your luggage. You put all of your luggage, open it up and you literally try on in front of Miss Shirley was the dorm parent at the time and a dorm captain, that's a leader, if you will, someone that's been there longer, one of the camp girls that's been there longer mm-hmm. and has earned the position of dorm captain. You try on all of your clothes and they basically judge you. And it's, if it's too tight, you don't get to keep it. Mm-hmm. And here we are thinking years later, because they said, don't worry, we'll save them for you for when you leave. Yeah. And then you're lied to and they, they say, oh, we sent the clothes back to your parents. Those clothes never got back to my parents. My mother didn't even pop tags on any of the items of clothing. Like 90% of the stuff that they sent me with was redistributed to other girls that were skinnier. I don't know if you can tell, but I'm a little bit curvaceous. So back then I was curvaceous as well. But yeah, they just gave away our clothes. And it was just, it was horrible. Mm -hmm. I was told to shut up, be quiet. I was immediately put on gag. Um, Gag is where you cannot talk. If you talk, they will paddle you. They will make you run laps around the gym. They will make you crab walk. They, and, and you, they call it working out, but it's not working out because when you, when you're talking to another adult and you say, oh, they worked me out. They caused me to work out. You're thinking, oh, that's good. They're having you get rid of energy, maybe teaching yeah. you some discipline. Maybe it's like army, right? No, this is 10 hours, hard labor cutting the grass with scissors, weed whacking, macheting the woods, infested with with everything. This is where you're crab walking. Do you know what crab walking is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so this is where you're crab walking across a gym for hours. And if you stop because you're tired or you fall because you're tired, they kick you. They mm. grab you up, they take you into another room and they take a big paddle and they paddle you five times. Mm. I'm a tall person. I'm 5'11". Back then I was 5'9". It took five people to hold me down in that office and mm-hmm. they did it with pleasure over and over again. The abuse, it was continuous. I was the darkest colored person there. Mm-hmm. So if you can imagine, I had my own, I had my own separate hell in addition to the hell everyone else
1: had. Yeah, yeah it was bad.
0: Just because you just because you mentioned it, when you say that you had it, it was a little bit worse for you. Did you? Was there a lot of like racially charged things that were said and statements that were made? And yeah,
2: okay. absolutely. A lot of the camp girls would call me nappy head. A long time ago, that story came out about the basketball players, the girls that I experienced that before they did. Yeah, and it was a laughing matter for them. They would throw bananas at me. Hmm. A monkey. It was so bad that I developed a personality disorder there. And basically what I had to do in order to survive Camp Tracy is I had to pretend I was there for a different reason. I had to pretend that Brother Rocky and Miss Shirley, they were the dorm parents, that they were like my adopted parents. They were like my long lost parents. And in order to get myself through that, I really had to ignore a lot that was going around, you know, going on around me. It's nothing that I would wish on anybody. No.
0: So what was, and you mentioned like obviously a hard labor, what was the day to day from like you're waking up through the time your head hits your pillow? What's, what was the day to day kind of operation there?
2: We would always wake up at six in the morning unless and If we were being punished, which for me was often, I may go to sleep at two in the morning and and wake back up at six. Hmm. And that's two in the morning after running laps and laps or having to hold my arms out like this for hours, squatting up against a wall with my arms out like this for hours, crab walking, being paddled in between because I stopped, because I cried, because I was done, I was spent, I, I couldn't do it anymore. We would wake up in the morning and we would eat according to our status. They would call dorm captains first to eat after reciting three Bible verses and praying. We had to learn three new Bible verses a week. If we did not know them, we would not eat. If we did not learn them after we didn't eat one time, we would get paddled, we would get worked out. We were required to learn those Bible verses, period. And it wasn't a positive way of us learning the Bible, it wasn't a positive way of us getting to know God. My relationship with God is pretty screwed up. And this is after five years of therapy, because I finally Mm -hmm. broke down and started remembering a lot of this stuff that had happened to me. And I had no choice. I had contemplated suicide for the first time in my life. And I had no choice but to go into therapy. And there's still a lot that I don't remember. Yeah. But as far as working on the farm. The boys had, even though we had a lot of physical labor, okay, as far as on the growth side, the boys and the girls were always kept separate. Yeah. And because the boys were supposed to be, oh, yeah, we had to keep our heads down. If a boy was around, we had to close our eyes and keep our heads down until the staff said it was okay. Yeah. And we were never allowed to look at them. We were never allowed to talk to them and vice versa. Um. Hmm. As far as the labor goes, they worked on the farm a lot. The boys did, and so did we. But we had our own side, and they had theirs. We were taught more of the female stuff, so we cooked for for everyone, the boys. We were expected to serve them. And it was really weird, because sometimes you would hear them, these are teenage boys, and we'd have our heads down as they were going past us to the chow hall to eat. And we would hear them saying, the food better be good, joking and stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, like, We're enslaved to not just the camp staff. We're enslaved as women to the boys too. And they're being raised with this mentality that it's okay.
0: There's research in Camp Tracy. There's a lot of documented abuse. You hit on some of the the physical labor, but there were six lawsuits, I believe, for a mix of physical and sexual abuse. How much of that, I know the labor you're aware of, but how much of the physical and sexual abuse did you see? Did you encounter other students who... Experience that sort of thing? Were there stories that kind of circled around the group? Like how did that play out?
2: I will speak with the ones that I actually witnessed and have been told Mm -hmm. like from them, from their mouths, I'll speak with them. I don't want to put them out there like that unless they're ready. And as a couple of the camp girls, I have about 38 camp girls on my page on my Facebook page and we keep in touch. Absolutely. We're a tight knit community. Mm -hmm. Like when you've been through something so horrible like that, Physical, sexual, mental abuse, absolutely, you're going to try to eventually get back to that person, or maybe you just stay away forever. There are some camp girls that we just haven't heard from, and we're hoping they're okay. Mm. Um, Yeah, physical, mental, sexual abuse, all three, I suffered personally. Mm. The final straw for me was when I turned 18, and I stayed so I could graduate. So my birthday is on Christmas Day, and I made the decision to stay until May so I could graduate. I did everything that I could, but I'd be damned if I was going to let anyone put their hands on me ever again. And we had a new person that took over the kitchen. He's, I believe he's listed in one of the lawsuits. I will, I'll find his name for you. I, I forget a lot of the names of the yeah. staff members. A lot of the camp girls, trauma will do that to you. Yeah. But he was new to taking over the kitchen for Miss Fran. Miss Fran took a different role and he came in and He had a different way of doing things. He was very rude, very brash. And he put his hands on me in a very inappropriate way. He grabbed my arm at first and when I pulled away, he grabbed my hip and his hand slid and cupped my butt. And he asked me if I wanted to take this into another room. I pushed him away from me and I cursed him out in front of two other camp girls. And Preacher came because they knew that they could not put hands on me. They, I didn't know because, again, you're just enslaved from a child to your are 18. Yeah. You don't know. Think about it. I'm 18. I could have escaped. I didn't leave. Mm. I didn't leave because I, I didn't feel like I could. I still felt entrapped. So Preacher came because Preacher was the only one that could talk to me. And I'm sitting here telling him what this guy said to me. He said something really nasty. I don't remember what it was that he said, but it was very inappropriate in addition to what I just told you. But I don't remember specifically what he said. And I kept crying to Preacher. And this is Preacher McCormick, yeah. Wilfred McCormick. I kept crying to him and I kept begging him. I'm like, look, Preacher, please, this is not right what he did. Why am I in here in the office about to get paddled? I, I can't do this. And he threatened with taking my diploma away from me. He told me that if I refused the SWATs, that I would not be allowed to graduate, that I would not be allowed to stay and graduate. And that's the only reason why I was staying. Mm. So I took the final SWATs I took. Pretty gross that you can't even develop into a woman while you're there. When I was 18, they gave us the privilege of being able to shave our private areas. We weren't able to shave our private areas up until that point whenever we shaved our legs we had to lay a towel out and shave in our dorms in front of everyone shave our legs and we were only allowed to shave to right above the knee yeah when i shaved my private area obviously very bushy another camp girl found out and she blurted it out to everyone in like they were in like a fun area if you will yeah i was called out for it And literally embarrassed in front of all the girls. Literally embarrassed for shaving a private area. Right.
0: What was the logic behind? What were they? What was the point of that? Why was the staff so, like?
2: Because they didn't. They wanted to discourage anyone else from shaving their private areas. They wanted to make an example out of me. And the only way that they could make an example out of me was to make it seem like I was doing something wrong.
0: Obviously this isn't all isolated, but so I've heard heard a lot on my previous interview just about like all the crazy work environment and the things, if you won't even call it work that all the guys were doing, what all physical labor was there? And you mentioned like cutting grass and things like that cooking. Was there a lot of other hard type physical?
2: So, Please keep in mind that over four years we, and I'm speaking for myself right now, but all of us, we were brainwashed into believing that this is normal. So when a child is carrying two full banana boxes full of bananas on her neck, that's made to be normal when it's a daily occurrence. When we're thrown into a hog pen in 30 degree weather, not allowed to wear pants, to protect ourselves. We are only allowed to wear gauchos as females and we're thrown into a hog pen where we could get bit by these 300 pound hogs and there's five or six of them when it's a hundred degree weather outside and we're cutting and building our own school hmm. in the woods with machetes that are dull, encountering poison ivy and everything else. <laughs> if you were to see it as someone doing that type of labor for for three or four hours a day, that would be a reasonable thing to expect from a child. But when you're doing it 10 hours a day and then you've got your normal chores like cooking and things like that and cleaning on top of that, it's forced child labor. They have the nerve to say, I know that my mom, she paid, I think it was anywhere between seven, it went up from 700 to 750 a month for me. At any given time, there was anywhere between 30 to 35 of either sex, and it could be up to 60 of yeah. either sex on both sides. We were forced child labor because they sold the crops that we they sold the hay, they sold the silver queen corn, the zipper peas, the black-eyed peas. We had blackberries, blueberries. We had everything. Yeah. They used us right. <laughs> while charging our parents for mm. using us.
0: Right. How much communication did you have with your family while you were there?
2: The first year we were not allowed to communicate. Hmm. You couldn't write your parents for the first three months. All letters were monitored. You could not send anything. negative. If you sent anything negative, they would stop you from sending it. They would put you on gag order. They would make you wear blue and white you couldn't wear normal clothes, they would make you wear your hair in a bun as a female or a boy, they would shave it off buzz. And I only know this because I've talked to camp boys after. Yeah. Um, Gag means you cannot say anything. If If you say, ouch, because you stubbed your toe, you're running laps, you're getting spanked. If you do something as innocent, like you say, hi, Naomi, and I say hi, the staff will immediately grab you. They will either take you to be paddled or they will tell you that's 20 laps. Hmm. I went through hell. It was hell, constant. I was on gag for three months. Hmm. I couldn't talk to anyone for three months. Not a word. Like, I would whisper to myself in the shower just so I wouldn't go crazy
0: getting to be 18, starting to, to look at actually leaving. And did you end up, you ended up staying past that point and all the way through to get.
2: No, I eventually was kicked out because I was refusing to let them abuse me any further. Um, um, I had someone that, that same person try to corner me and in the freezer we had a walk. we had a walk-in fridge and a walk-in freezer. And quite frank, I think he was going to try to rape me. He grabbed my breasts and I took off. Um, too afraid to tell anyone anything, but I was done. And preacher pretty much told my mom that I was getting kicked out. No, it's just because they couldn't control me any longer. I wouldn't allow them to abuse me. My mother sent me a bus ticket home. And here I am thinking after four years, I know that I'm scared straight at this point. Listen, I wouldn't, listen, I, there is no back talking at all to my mom. There's nothing I wouldn't do to get out of there and never have to go back to a place like that. But when I got back, I said, Mom, I I'm, I'm so happy. I'm home. I'm ready to start my life. I'm ready to go to college. I'm ready for us to rebuild our relationship. And my mother, I, I don't know what preacher told her. My mother didn't come see me. She probably came to see me maybe three or four times in the four years that I was there. But she told me that preacher and the staff would constantly tell her that I was doing bad. I made dorm captain four or five times. I was in top five, about the same amount, if not way more than that, actually. So I don't know what the heck they said to her, but when I got back, my mom said, you have two choices. You can either find a friend to stay with or a homeless shelter. It wasn't until five years ago that I finally had the courage with with the help of the third therapist that I had to confront my mom and tell her what happened. My mom couldn't believe it. She literally couldn't believe it. At first, she told my therapist that maybe I was wrong, mistaken. She had the reaction that i guess anyone would have when you tell them that you sent your child away to be abused for four years and you were paying for it right
0: No, there's i'm always interested in the dynamic of the parent in these situations because on the one hand like you just said you don't want to reconcile the fact that you were paying for this to happen but then also on the other side like knowing from people i've talked to from uh, several different homes the messaging of the home, or uh, yeah, the home to your family, is usually very negative, and they tell parents expect your kids to lie. All of these different things to basically get rid of any chance of anything ever getting out. So, stepping—I mean, obviously, you mentioned therapy, but what were some things that were helpful for you as you left and try to navigate? Because you're going from the most formative years of your life, so 14 to 18, in one place being essentially brainwashed for all of that time. And now you're expected to adapt to normal life. What was the process there and how long did it take to you felt like you were able to start moving forward a little bit?
2: I think I was one of the the fortunate ones, one of the blessed ones, because... Before I got to Camp Tracy, I had a solid foundation, even though my mother screamed, yelled a lot. I'm, I come from a Puerto Rican household. That's what they do. <laughs> We're strong women. She taught me a lot. Hmm. My mom taught me a lot before I went to camp. And I think holding on to that, my grandmother is also, well, was, she retired, of course, um, a therapist and a social worker. She worked with alcoholics, drug addicts, and their family members in abusive situations. So I... My, my grandmother's idea of teaching me was for me to read all those books. So I had all that head knowledge going into Camp Tracy. I think that's why I was able to put my mind in a different position. Yeah. And I think that's also why I got it the worst because they weren't able to mentally break me.
0: Yeah.
2: When I left, of course, I compartmentalized everything. I had those repressed memories, <laughs> excuse me. And quite frank, I knew that I was raised to believe that you could not have sex before marriage. Um, The only time I had ever had sex was when I was raped. And that was before Camp Tracy. So I immediately went to Trinity Baptist Church.
1: Hmm.
2: Found who I thought was going to be my husband. But of course, what do you know? One at 18. Two, what do you know when you're forced child labor and you're not taught anything but an ACE pace education? That's it. Mm -hmm. no life skills no nothing you don't know anything about life the only thing that they teach you is that you need to get married have babies serve god and serve your husband that's it so i immediately got married straight out of high school not knowing what marriage was not knowing anything went to texas this is Mm -hmm. trinity
0: in jacksonville yes okay
2: Okay. Yes. The person that I married, his parents, they may still teach. But they were teaching and they were coaches at uh, Trinity. <laughs> my husband had, my then husband had gone through his own abuse, sexual abuse. So he didn't know who he was either. N- neither one of us had any business getting married. Three months later, after he was stationed in Colleen, Texas, we separated. He has a completely, and I'm not going to state it here, but he has a completely different lifestyle that he chose for himself. And he had that right to choose it, but because no one ever explained that to him, he was oppressed and suppressed so much that he felt like he had no other way out but getting married to me. And I felt the same. Right after that, three months later, I met um, the father of my child. And for 10 years, I was mentally, physically, and sexually abused. But you can't sexually abuse your wife. See, I fell for a narcissist because I had grown up with narcissistic people. But I have to say that throughout all of this, because of what was in my foundation from my mom, not nearly as bad as some of my camp girls. Mm. And I'm really, the, Eric, I'm, I'm glad that I was able to get in touch with you today because those girls need help. Yeah, I'm working on healing, but some people don't have any of that knowledge that I had before I went to camp.
1: Right.
2: One of our camp sisters in, in Florida, and there was a situation with a turtle. And I don't know if you've come across that article or not, mm-hmm. but she killed a turtle, like a huge Asian turtle <laughs> those are things that people do when they're traumatized they've been abused like that's after she left camp there's people that have turned to drugs self-harm cutting themselves like I I just I've got to. when we get off here I'm going to talk to one of my camp sisters I, I always tell them look reach out to me I'm here <laughs> everything you say stays with me which is why I'm not telling you their stories right but we have to get through this together and I just hope that one day they, they'll have the courage to speak out because Preacher, Cedric, all of them, they're just going on living their lives as if they did the greatest thing in the world. We saved so many souls for Jesus. Yeah. What they did behind closed doors was anything but.
0: <laughs> Some curious. you may have answered us a little bit, but I know that camp Tracy closed down in 2013 after, like I said, tons of investigations and lawsuits and all kinds of legal issues. What are the whereabouts of the staff now? You just mentioned, obviously, Cedric and, and other names that have come up.
2: So I have some of the staff members. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. No, no, no um, I, There's Not all the staff members were bad, okay? Some of the staff members were genuinely there trying to help. But when they saw the mess that was there and the way that they were mind controlled as well, they just became a part of that sick cycle for us. Not everyone that was there, some of of the people that were there, some of the volunteers were like our lifelines. They were the weekend warriors, if you will. They would be the ones that would come on Friday to relieve our dorm parents. And that's where we would feel some sense of normalcy. I am very close with a particular couple because I don't want their name to be brought up on the bad side. Cause they didn't, they were one of our saving graces and I tell them that constantly uh, they're on my Facebook page and they did what they could to try to stop the abuse, if mm-hmm. you will. But back then a lot of this stuff wouldn't have been considered abuse. Paddling mm-hmm. a child's, wouldn't have been considered an abuse, but when you paddle a child 15 paddles a day, meaning five here, three more, five more later, that's abuse. When someone like me, I had black and blue all over my bottom, It's abuse. When a child runs away and you're 10 miles to the nearest anything, Fallon, when she ran away, she stayed gone for a week. That girl came back, tore up, cut up from the floor up. Remember I told you, poison ivy, thorns. She went through the woods trying to escape. And she wasn't the only one. Several ran away. But you're 10 miles to the nearest anything in Glen St. Mary, Florida. McClennie, Florida. The ones that are responsible for the abuse, they're still free. For me... I didn't realize until a year and a half after the statute of limitations was up in Florida that there was nothing I could do. Yeah. I could try to go after this guy for these two sexual incidents where he grabbed my breasts and grabbed my butt, but that was nothing. Yeah. To be honest, that would have been a slap on the wrist for him because he didn't violate me like he violated other people. Yeah. They're free.
0: What's your goal for the larger picture? Are you you wanting to see change in the troubled teen industry at large? Is it more about just like sharing to to work through that trauma? What's the goal for you when it comes to sharing the story?
2: It's everything. It's hopefully I give my camp brothers and sisters the courage to heal and to realize that getting over it is not an option. There is no getting over something like this. You have to work through it. You have to realize that it's not your fault, that you have to tell the childhood you, whenever you were, like for me, 14, when I went to Camp Tracy, that 14-year-old child is safe now. Mm. As an adult, you have nothing else to fear, because you've got to understand that even up until five years ago, I walked around in fear. They walk around in fear, even if they don't notice it, they don't realize it, certain sounds, tastes, smells, all of it. Brings back the worst memories. The other part is, yes, please, Lord, bring some sort of laws into place that prevents these people from thinking that they're psychiatrists, psychologists, therapists, anything, teachers, none of them have degrees in anything. No type of child psychology or uh, sociology, degree, nothing to help any troubled teens except for a Bible and themselves and a power.
0: Yeah. And and that's why I I told you before we start recording, but there's so much that just doesn't even make sense. And when I listen to some of these stories, like just the first thing you hear when you're like, that seems like a lot, that seems far-fetched. That seems crazy. And then you start hearing more and more stories from, I've heard stories now from California, Florida, Mexico, Uh, Missouri, I've heard stories all shockingly similar, all the shockingly same methods. And it's just, I just truly don't understand how nothing's been done. I don't understand the tricky thing with this stuff is, and you hit on this, like it's the religious exemptions, allowing people who just have a Bible and a paddle to open these homes. And I'm hoping through some of the attention that has been given to this stuff lately. I'm hoping that we can start seeing some real legitimate change. I, I just, to, I guess one thing I would want to ask, and I like asking this of people who have been sent to these places, but you mentioned your mom. Now you have a child of your own. If you were talking to a parent who's saying, look, I truly am struggling I, with my child. I don't know what to do. I'm thinking about sending in one of these homes. I don't feel like I have another option. What would you say to them? And what advice would you give to them as a parent?
2: It's really easy for me, even though I'm a parent of, I'm a parent of a nine-year-old. So we haven't hit those troubled teen years yet. And I pray to God that that I don't, that we never do. I I try to talk to Christian. My son's name is Christian. And I kind of level with him for the longest, even with my mom, the, the parenting of the past was always, I'm here you do what I say. But I always try to level with him here. Even though he knows that I'm the authoritative figure, I I never approach it that way. What I would encourage other parents is, try figuring out what the real problem is with your child. Because if your child's acting out, like for me, I was lost, (laughs) like, the first attention that I had ever gotten from boys and from people that were claiming to be my friends were for people from people that were trying to use me. And I didn't know because I was so naive. I was so sheltered. So what my mom thought was a huge problem that had already blown up. Maybe I was already raving, doing drugs, all that. I really hadn't. I hadn't touched anything. I hadn't touched drugs. I hadn't had sex. I hadn't anything. I just was at the wrong place, wrong time. And I can say that now, but back then, if I were to even mention it, what would have happened? I don't know. Because back then it was the do what I say do, not let me guide you. Children are an open, they're, they're a clear, clean slate. They know nothing but what we put into them. And so I try to, try to put, excuse me, I try to put everything positive into my son that I, that I can. And I would encourage that parent that's struggling with that teen, please, please don't send them away. Not because of what happened to me, how changed in that child's life the most, because they're acting out either in response to what they've seen, have been through, or something that's missing. You can reach any child if you press those right buttons, it's, it's one of very few reasons why a child seems to go the wrong direction if you will in their lives. It's either because they've experienced something bad, they've been told something bad, or they just haven't been guided in the right direction. And a lot of us as parents, like speaking as a single parent, if I don't if I don't put reminders in my calendar, I may forget To specifically dedicate, I'll see my child in passing, hi, how are you, lunchtime and, and things like that, but to specifically dedicate, hey, there's an hour that's just mommy and Christian time. It's hard for us. I used to think that my mom was so angry because of me. Maybe she didn't want me. No, her life was stressed because she was providing everything by herself, and I seemingly fell through the cracks. And... I just, I never want to see another child go through that. And I, I try my best. I've run into to parents in that situation. I've talked to them. I've told them, hey, please. And then that's when they opened up to me and said, look, I'm, I'm thinking about sending them to this place in Utah or somewhere no. else. And I'm like, no, please don't. Listen to my story. Wait.
1: wait. No.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, I think the big takeaway here is there is so much that you don't know until hindsight. And I think that there's things you said that you wish you could have communicated to your mom that you didn't know how to as a teenager. There things that your mom didn't know that led to a lot of really harmful situations. And I think what's really great about these conversations and what, what I'm, what I'm thankful we had this conversation is that you're able to share your hindsight and it can be someone else's kind of 2020. 20. It can be, that understanding because I say that's something I struggle with when I first started hearing about these homes was maybe for some kids maybe some kids need to go to maybe this place does need to exist and maybe it's of course people don't like it because it's rules and it's restrictions but it goes so much deeper than that and it's so hard for people who don't take the time to sit down and actually talk with people who've been through these programs to really understand how harmful they are they're not it's not, I just had Hannah Kay on who was, fr- she went to Lighthouse and she said, in a lot of cases, tough love just means abuse. And I think that's really true. And that's that shouldn't be the case. It needs to be actually guiding people into living yeah. a better life. And that doesn't happen by 10 hour work days and digging holes and cutting grass. It, it That just doesn't work. That's not effective. But I appreciate you sharing your story and for so clearly laying out your experience because I know, I say I know, I can't even imagine how difficult it is to open up the door and think about that stuff and to walk back through all of those moments. But I can't thank you enough for taking the time to do so.
2: I thank you so much for, for giving me this platform to be able to do it. If I could help even one child, save even one child from the hell that Camp Tracy was, it's worth it. It's yeah. worth it. I would cut open that wound every single day because I never want anyone else to go through. It's, it's not fair. And I really feel like the lawmakers in Florida let us down. Yeah. Um, as a child from 18, I think I had until 23, if I'm not mistaken, to file some tor- type of lawsuit. At 23, I still didn't know what happened to me. I was mm-hmm. still singing the praises of Cam Tracy and not knowing why. <laughs> like, yeah. like yeah but I, I just I really want to thank you thank you for for bringing me on and please if there's anything else that I can do to help don't hesitate
1: thank you for listening to the preacher boys podcast if you appreciated the content on the show please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook Instagram or Twitter with the handle at preacher boys doc additional information can always be found on preacher boys